Every career is a journey. Every leader has a story. Welcome to Journey to the Energy C-Suite, where we look at the strategies and techniques that turn solid leaders into top executives. This is your place to hear practical wisdom and guidance from real people who know what it takes. With your host, Ryan Sanford. Hey again, everybody, and welcome back to Journey to the Energy C-Suite. I am happy to be back with you again. I'm your host, Ryan Sanford, and I have a great guest today. He's Matt Gabriel, who's the founder and CEO of XRI. XRI is the leading full cycle water management and produced water midstream company with advanced water treatment technologies and recycling frameworks. Matt, it is exciting to have you on the show. How are you today? I'm doing really well. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think before we get into to the to the really juicy stuff, I think some congratulations are in order because uh, I learned that XRI was recently awarded the ESG Top Performers Award for private midstream companies at the Heart Energy Energy ESG Conference. So congratulations on that. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. That um, certainly uh, getting those kinds of accolades is always a uh, a welcomed. Uh, reward for the hard work. But uh, yeah, we were excited to get that win and uh, are proud really just of what we've been doing as a company in the, the ESG sector. Well, very cool. And, and, and again, congratulations to you and the entire team at XRI because a lot goes into to being recognized in an award like that. And, uh, you know, before we get into some of the some of the things going on at XRI now, I, I want to go back a little bit. When you and I spoke before, you've got a really interesting career path. You know, we're always talking about the journey of the leader. It's, it's never the same. And, you know, you started as an attorney in your career, then you made the pivot later on to, to entrepreneurship and, and running your own businesses. So help me understand a little bit about what that was like for you making that pivot from, you know, working as an attorney to, to going into to the business world. It usually following the, the, the drop reference of attorney, the jokes ensue. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, this is the story. These are the, the conversations I most enjoy having. I mean, it's fun to talk about the company and what we're doing. We find most of the time right during the work week, that's what we're focused on. But, you know, uh, you know, I, I did. I started my career as an attorney. I spent my legal career at Kirkland and Ellis, which is a big uh, flagship brand name for for corporate law. Uh, I was based in the Chicago office, um, and you know, I, I love the Peter Thiel quote. You know, he started his career in, in in law as well, and he realized after nine months it was as simple as just walking out the door uh, <laughs> to, to to try new things. I credit a lot of my success. I use you know, I, I joke. Law schools attract lawyers. It doesn't make them. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, with with law, uh, much of of your talent development is actually in practice. Right. What you learn from mentors and Kirkland's got an incredible reputation for um, being entrepreneurial spirited. Um, They've had a great growth story themselves, but learned a ton about how to deliver value. Um, and, and that was my big takeaway, but, you know, I pivoted from, from k e to, uh, a venture fund, spent a couple of years as a venture capitalist on the business side. And it, it like so much of, of, you know, how, you know, people study and learn, you know, when I was a lawyer, I thought it was the best thing until I realized, wow, you know, private equity clients are, are doing pretty interesting things. And then when I was inside, 
uh, venture capital and private equity, I became a little envious of, of the business folks, right? It seemed like everyone was just piling on the shoulders of the entrepreneur. And, and uh, I was really excited to go out and, and um, start, start a business. And, and so my, my path to the C-suite to kind of steal off your, your label is, is more of an, you know, an entrepreneurial pursuit than it is, uh, you know, a path of ascension uh, within, you know, uh, you know, a C-suite career development and, and, you know, attrition, you know, waiting for the, the folks in front of you to, to fall away. My, my path was more self, self-created. And, and entrepreneurship's really been in your DNA for a long time. When you and I spoke before, I mean, you, you kind of had that uh, that business bug from an early age. Even when you were a kid, you you started some, some small businesses that, yeah. you, that you used to make money. Tell us about a, a couple of those because I think there's some lessons that you learned early yeah, there'll on be some about chuckles that. Up this that, I, yeah. that it meant so much, but I I really did. And and um, I had an entrepreneurial household. Neither of my parents went to college, but but. The businesses they worked in were all self-started, but I did. I, I um, you know, two things probably I'd point at that were comically cliche, but I had a very successful baseball card business early on, you know, where I was able to memorize a lot of the pricing uh, sheets for older cards. And, and I could, there was sort of an arbitrage if you traded uh, with, with younger folks who were performing preferred the more contemporary players and you could, you could trade up in value. Um, and, and so I, I still hold that collection. I, I tried to market to market recently and I'm quite proud of where I think that asset sits, uh, still today. The other, and probably the more, you know, the more, uh, functionally op, you know, operationally oriented business was a, a snow cone business that, um, you know, again, multi-year, uh, family supported business, but, uh, I was very young and my brother was a very active, um, you know, kind of middle school, high school baseball player. And so we, we were in traveling, traveling leagues and my parents would let me bring full carts, set up full snow cone established, you know, setups right next to, you know, adult, you know, snow cone trucks and, <laughs> and they didn't snow, kick you out nowadays. They didn't you kick me out and, and no, and, and because I was a little kid, I got more business than I ever should have. Wow. Um, and so the fact that I had no, no shame in, in setting it up and that my parents were more than happy for me to go off and do that is really, you know, it goes to the heart of, I think if you want to attack the C-suite entrepreneurially, you know, that is the degree of perseverance that I think you need is, is that, you know, the ability to, of course, I'm going to set up this shop right here, right next to something that's already happening. Um, I, you know, I would encourage you to s- seek out more monopolistic uh, ventures than snow cone <laughs> businesses. But other than that, uh, you know, I think I learned a lot of lessons early. Yeah. Nowadays you have to have a license and you have to have an agreement with the, with the facility to even let you go on, go on site with anything that you're selling. I, I'm, I That's a whole a, other podcast. So I want to fast forward a little bit to, to 2013 when you started putting together the idea for XRI and it started with really a purpose of solving water problems. And this was the the time where a barrel of oil was about a hundred dollars a barrel. And then, uh, 
about three years ago, you had to make a strategic shift in the business going uh, more into the recycling, which was, which was really a game changer for XRI. I wonder if you could talk about um, kind of the lead into that, the initial idea, the initial problem that you're going to help the market solve to making a pretty big strategic shift. Yeah, of course. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to keep the, the XRI commercial to a minimum, <laughs> but I'll try and talk about it, especially how it relates to just uh, making decisions as an executive. So, you know, you, you nailed it, right? Going into 2013, oil was, was chugged along over $100 a barrel. What a fun market to, to build a business in. Um, opportunity was raining out of the sky. At least that's how it felt. And, uh, you know, we did. We had a, a pretty academic entry into the market where, uh, you know, my co-founders, my founding team, we really weren't um, born out of the oil and gas industry, which, you know, I'm sure hurt us in, in certain ways, but helped us in, in our creativity, uh, having a fresh perspective. So, you know, really high oil prices makes for a tough environment to hire, you know, McDonald's was given signing bonuses better than I was used <laughs> to seeing. Uh, and so it, it was a, it was a unique market to, to create. We, we definitely came at it with, um, you know, ESG driven, I don't, ESG wasn't as popular of a term back then, but we wanted to solve what we saw as, as an already absurd water problem in the industry with, with trucks and fresh water. So our founding business thesis was there has to be a better way to manage water. You know, we focused on non-potable water, industrial source water and pipelines. Uh, and that allowed the, the, the more recent transition into recycling to come along a lot easier uh, because, you know, the systems were really built to handle that kind of tr transition. But, uh, you know, following recycling, you know, we, it's a topic we studied almost immediately after the launch of our business. The cost per barrel, you know, it gets to the heart of, you know, how you make, it's like they say, right, a good marriage requires falling in love with the same person multiple times over the same thing's true in business, right? You've got, you've got to essentially fall in love with this, with, with a business thesis multiple times. And that thesis is not the same person you fell in love with the first time. And I think that's what makes, uh, you know, I think an analogy I've used with my team, it's because I'm a big chess fan. It's playing chess where, you know, every three minutes, the board moves pieces itself mm -hmm. And you're moving your own strategy. You don't quite know what, where the board's going to move those pieces. And it makes for, uh, you know, a very dynamic, complicated uh, problem set. I, I think all businesses, it, the fun, the, the, probably the two best years of most businesses are the year you start them and the year you sell them. <laughs> and I think most companies go into, you know, um, you know, kind of, they always, you know, experience difficult times in years two through four. It's, um, you know, it, I, I've shared this. I'm in a, a handful of forums for, for CEOs and, and executives. And I think most everyone shares the common feeling that the fuselage is falling apart most years. And, and you know, I think oil in particular coming out of 2013, you can, you can, uh, you, you can chart that, if, you know, with with economics, um, let alone just the 
the natural evolution of a business. So, you know, they say, I forget what book it was in, but, you know, I think it's the the hard thing about hard things that uh, was written. And, you know, it's easy to, 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 to organize on a piece of paper what your executive team looks like. It's hard when egos swell and, mm-hmm. and interpersonal skills get challenged and the market evolves around it. And, and so, yeah, um, 2013 was a, f- was a fun year. It quickly got hard. And then worse, you know, again, not to, to make this a story about water, but if you look at the evolution of water within energy, uh, started in 2013 in the low 100,000 barrel, you know, uh, per well in terms of volumes, you know, we see mainly five to 700,000 barrels per well now, you know, the, 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 the produced water kick and curve off that is enormous, you know, five, five to one produced water curve, you know, to, to oil. Um, and so, you, you know, there's a, that's a really complex market to navigate. Shifting to recycling was, was obvious for us. It, at least where I was sitting uh, when I when when we made the decision, uh, it seemed obvious. I, I will tell you that um, a lot of folks around us didn't understand why we were moving. Right, we we were spending dollars. We were essentially abandoning assets uh, that were funded, and and to me, and I still think we're in that market. Right. Oil and gas uh, wells in the Permian over the next four years are anticipated. This is just on publicly available data, anticipated to see a 12% kegger uh, over the next four years. Currently recycling, you know, if, if you look at it as maybe five to 7% of the market. So if you take an implied 50% uh, end result for where recycling would be on a Permian wide, and you put that 12% kegger on you know, you get, you, you end up getting a, an 80 to hundred percent kegger within water recycling and energy, uh, because of a curve on a curve. Right. And, um, so, you know, everything looks sensible in hindsight, but at the time, a lot of folks questioned why we were making the pivot, but it, you know, it's one, one of the reasons I'm a big believer of, you know, pick one basket and, and just carry that basket is, you've got to, you got to pick through really hard problems real time. And it's easy to miss a nuance that, uh, you know, in hindsight will look obvious. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about that, that whole scenario, you know, it's really, uh, dealing with uncertainty and, and being comfortable, being uncomfortable. And, you know, you mentioned some of the financial modeling that went into that and the analytics that, that you all looked at to, to make that shift. But at the end of the day, um, that's, that's a model. It's it's a prediction. It's a best guess, and and the the outcomes of those decisions are not assured. And you, as a CEO, have got to lead with that vision and be comfortable with the uh, with the notion that you know we this may may not work out the way we think it will, but this is the best way for us to go, and then lead your people in that direction. Yeah, and and, and I'm a you know I, I think the the challenge with re- the recycling market up until a few years ago was that that model made a lot of sense on paper, but when you uh, drag start dates to the right, or you drag adoption to the right, it annihilates your returns. And so, you, you, you know, we saw a number of really interesting companies and we acquired one of them, right. That, that had done a great job perfecting the process, but um, 
you know, it goes to the the ultimate debate is, you know, early adoption, good or bad. And you, you don't want to be the first adopter. You want to be the last, quite frankly. And, and in some markets, the first by, by uh, you know, by competition is the last, but you know, what you're really seeking for is, is seeking out is to be the last user of a, of a solution. So I want to talk a little bit about putting together a leadership team. Cause this is just one of the core things that any CEO has to do. And it looks a little different when you're in a startup business. So in 2013, go, going back to then um, it's easy to say, here's what the org chart should look like. Let's go fill in these boxes. Right. <laughs> Reality is, especially with a startup, um, oftentimes you're looking more at talent, skill, um, flexibility, and agility among leaders because um, those those job titles aren't as neatly aligned. <laughs> They're not yep. quite in those boxes as much as, as they are in larger organizations. I wonder if you could take us through your mindset when you were first putting together the, the organization in 2013. How did you approach that, putting the leadership team together? Yeah, I mean, it's the one thing I, I, I want to maybe say from the get go is it's also, you know, I, I want to show some humility and, and not, you know, it wasn't like I had the perfect idea and 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 our founding team had the perfect idea and, and we were just looking for the right pieces of the, the chessboard to fill it out. Like we, you know, I was, you know, I was an educated person. I had worked at some big name places, but I myself was still evolving as an executive. Um, I, I tend to be, and I tend to promote, um, you, you know, so much of, 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 of business talk is about checking certain boxes. And I tend to be a little more provocative than that. I think I'm a, a proud micromanager. Um, I, it's not because I think it's the best way to lead. It's just my personality. Uh, I tend to, to, to be a little obsessive. I tend to, you know, I think in some ways COVID has helped my whole team grow because we've had to disengage from, from each other, you know, physically a little bit, and that's given some room for growth. But, you know, when I look at the org chart in 2013, you know, a very high percentage of that core team is still, uh, still with, with the company and, and with the growth that we've had, you know, folks that joined as uh, one role, you know, kind of the, the, the growing anthill, you know, they grew within the organization and, and, and that creates its own set of complexities. I mean, we're not, you know, we're backed by a, a syndicate of Morgan Stanley private equity funds. And when you look at the, the roster of their teams, you know, they are able to recruit a very particular way. Uh, and I think when you're looking at building a Permian or oil and gas based business, you, you tend to, um, particularly during uh, a hard charging bull market in 2013, you have to, you know, you have to, um, you have to hire off of a different set of principle, right? Who, who can be here? Who's, <laughs> uh, you know, who has relationships? Um, you know, you're, you're looking for, and I don't mean to take anything away from our team because it, clearly it was a great success. Uh, but you're looking for um, a set of skills that um, that you can work with and you can grow unless, you know, a set of skills that have checked all the boxes in their careers. Right. And that makes for, uh, you know, again, it's just a different environment to build a team around. 
Now, I wanted to ask as well, as your, as your business strategy changes, as your business grows and pivots take place, how often do you have to reevaluate the skills that are needed in the business? How often do you have to reevaluate or do I have the right people in the right seats or do, do some of the folks that I have in this seat you know, need to move to a different seat or do we need yeah. to bring in people outside the company where we may don't, maybe we don't have a skill set that we really do need? You know, I, it, this is a question that that deserves a lot of attention. I, I you know, because I again, I think you can get into business speak and box checking that leads to some misconceptions. I, I'm a big believer in, you know, that you know, term, terminations are a necessary evil of, of 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 leadership. And but I think you've, you know, I think where that can go wrong is where you know hard communication is by definition hard. So I think a lot of times folks suffer from, you know, poor feedback and, and, you know, uh, poor opportunities of self-development. And so, you you know, what you owe it to your company is to have hard conversations quickly, um, to make investments in folks to succeed because it's always a lot more expensive to the company to replace um, and then you've got to execute on hard decisions of term- to terminate and, and find the right fit. It's ultimately what I think is best for, for all parties. You know, you, you, if there's a bad fit, it doesn't have to be because of the lack of ability in, in an employee. It can be that, you know, maybe they're, they're a little more senior and, you know, you know, uh, you know, I think particularly in the startup environment, right. Are, um, you know, I think there are a number of tasks in a startup environment as an executive that you have to be willing to do that are in or that are not intrinsically interesting to you. <laughs> right. And and so, you know, that is a, a component to when you're hiring and building out a team. You know, we a lot of folks want to come into an environment, they're ace fighter pilots. Their plane's been fueled for them every morning. Their equipment's in top-notch condition, right? When you're building a startup, you're a crop duster and you got to get out on the wing and tape it while the plane's in the air. And that just takes a certain personality. Um, it doesn't mean that they're, that personality is better than a seasoned you know, senior employee that, that has polished relationships. It just means for this company at this time, we need crop dusters. And so what we were really looking for, right, you know, is working managers and, and people willing to crop dust and take planes in the air. And, and thankfully, we found them. And sweep the hangar when, when, when the day is done, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. So I want to ask you just a personal question here. You know, how have you changed as a leader? This yeah. is kind of an introspective question, but, you know, how have you changed as a leader over the last few years? Obviously, the pivot in strategy and the impact on your business, but also leading a business through the pandemic over the last couple of years, uh, I think has had a profound impact on many leaders and how they have to lead. I wonder if you could share your perspective on that. Yeah, look, it probably not. Uh, I feel compelled to answer it uh, honestly and, and in a way that's probably not as sexy for this topic. But I, I think that um, to be a successful leader, you've got to contribute time, right? You've got to contribute massive amounts of your personal life to, to, to develop a successful business. 
again, I think there's a lot of examples of that not being a true statement, but it's just a fundamental belief I've had. It's caused me to sacrifice a lot of things in my life. I think where I've probably improved the most is with my maturity and quite frankly, with COVID, um, seeing, you know, we've had a very strong, um, D, you know, in our DNA as a company is that you've got to be in the Permian to be successful. You got to physically be there. And over the last few years, we've established a Houston office. We have a Dallas office. Um, we've had a lot more success leveraging video platforms. I think with talent acquisition, you know, you've got to push the envelope. You know, it's important not to let the tail wag the dog, um, but but you do need and, and I think our industry has has needed, you know, a little bit of a refresh around what what work looks like. And um, I think that the jury's still out on what the results of some of these changes are. Yeah. But it's allowed me to be uh, COVID gave me the, the first opportunity since fa- founding XRI um, to draw a little bit of a harder line around my personal and uh, my work life. And I think. You know, we've experienced probably our greatest success success as a business over the last two years. Ironically, it's coincided with probably my greatest uh, personal success. You know, I feel like I've become a better better father, a better uh, you know family man. Um, I've been able to establish um, you know my priorities in a way without really uh, pulling much or distract detracting much from the business. So. COVID's been an interesting, um, you know, catalyst to some change. I, I think on a personal front, strictly within businesses, trying to find greater patience. You know, I, I think that, you know, you see people that are either obsessed with the past and that kind of tends to lead towards depression or, or obsessed with the future and that leads to anxiety. I've worked with a coach and maybe call him a therapist on being a little more present in the moment. Uh, and I think that leads to good business. I mean, successful business means seeing around corners. So you can see why you have the tendency to be future oriented in your, in your anxieties. But uh, I think where I've improved the most as an executive is getting into the moment and, and, and that helps build culture um, and, you know, it helps build uh, stickiness in, in, in your, you know, in, in relationships. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to ask before we, before we uh, wrap it up, it, thinking about 2022, you know, what are you most excited about as a, as a leader, but also for XRI, all the cool things that you guys have going on, what gets you most excited? You know, we, you know, companies exist only to the degree that they create or generate, right? value uh, in a product or service. So, I mean, I think at the core of our understanding is we've got to create that value. I, I think we're at a very exciting crossroads in, in recycling because not only is it a socio-political mandate to, to check that box, uh, but, but maybe equally important is we're cost advantageous to our customers. We actually save money and do a, a very important um, uh, environmentally thoughtful thing. So I, I think for me, where, where I'm most excited is, is really to draw back to those, the two curves, the compounding curves. We're at 
you know, much of the, the, the water market, you know, is it's, it's a new market again. I mean, it's just like the second or third iteration for the water market. You know, we, we do disposal, but it's at, uh, as a last resort. And so I think for me, we're really excited on just the, the sheer volume of opportunity. You know, we're back to 2013 level, uh, BD, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, kind of opportunities, right? So every week we're kind of closing deals and then seeing a replenishment of new opportunities hitting our windshield. And that's, that's an exciting, uh, position to be in. You know, it's been a couple of years since we felt that enthusiasm. So we want to get that right. Uh, we want to capture, you know, we're, we're the largest recycler and I think we think we hold that title by several multiples and we want to keep that position. Um, but you got to do it by delivering value to the customer. So that's where we're focused. Very exciting stuff, Matt. What an incredible journey for you personally. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, and, and what a cool trajectory uh, XRI is on now. So best of luck to you all as you move into 2022. I want to thank uh, our listeners for tuning in once again. Thank you for pressing that play button. We'll be back again very soon with some more great interviews. And everyone have a great day. We'll see you next time. Tune in next week for another enlightening episode of Journey to the Energy C-Suite, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.